Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. To learn more about our church, please visit us online by visiting ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. As we jump into today's message, our hope and our prayer is that you'd be challenged and encouraged in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Now, let's jump into the word together. Healed. Hey! <laughs> well, welcome everyone. My name is Gabe Reno. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at, at uh, Crossroads. It's a suburb of Portland, Oregon, so pray for me. We need a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer in the Pacific Northwest. I've uh, been pastoring up there with Pastor Mikey for about eight years now, uh, and it's, it's lovely. We are your Calvary cousins. Uh, one of us has a longer beard, and the other one is a little more tanned. Uh, my wife calls me her tan Superman, so I do love that. Uh, yeah, but uh, been pastoring up there for eight years, and it has been awesome. It's changed my heart, and that is the thing about a heart that changes. You know, I, he- I heard someone say once, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I thought that, that was, that'll preach. I think that they'll hold on to that. And moving to the Pacific Northwest, I remember I left Arizona uh, to pastor up there, plant a church, help plant a church in Portland, Oregon. Um, and it was a very interesting time. I remember getting ready to leave. A lot of people from my church community at Calvary Chapel in Arizona said, why are you going to the left coast? You know? <laughs> I'm like, jeepers, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm supposed to go there. And it was really hard to go plan to church there. Uh, it is statistically the most unreached place in the United States. It is incredibly hard to uh, pastor there and to lead people there, but God is doing a unique work, much like the work that is happening here uh, in, in the Lake of the Ozarks. It, it's beautiful. And that's one of the things that Mikey and I, we just had to come and see. We've known Nick for some years now. Uh, Nick and Jerron have been out uh, to visit Crossroads and we heard great story about you guys and the work that God is doing here. So we just had to come see it and to have our hearts radically changed and transformed as well. But there's been things in my life that have always changed my heart. Uh, the first one, let's throw that image up there, Stephen. This is a verse that changed my heart. Let me just be honest with you. A little pandering to the uh, home crowd. In 1993, when Joe Montana, you know, he left in 92, San Francisco, but started for the Chiefs in 93. And my heart just followed with him. I was a Joe Montana fan. And so when he came to Kansas City, I became a Chiefs fan. So for 20 some years, I know I saw the light. (laughs) Hallelujah. Glory to God. Uh, But you guys, it was hard. Elementary, middle school, high school, we didn't have a playoff win for 20 some years, for 20 years. It was was hard. People made fun of me. How can you be a Chiefs fan? But I was just so devoted to to Joe. uh, And it it was a rough time. Of course, 2020, aside from a time that we won't talk about, was pretty sweet for the Chiefs. That was a great Super Bowl win. And then, of course, uh, last weekend was just marvelous. The, the glory of God just shone in such a miraculous way at the Moreno household. And it was so awesome. We celebrated, I'm sure, like most of you all. So that changed my heart when Joe left uh, San Francisco. Another thing changed my heart. Let's go to the next picture. When I met my, my sweetheart, that's my wife, Brittany Moreno. That's a much younger me. The skin is a little tighter uh, for sure, less cracks. Uh, but yeah, that's my wife, Brittany. We've been married now, going on 18 years. And getting married will change your heart. It'll change the way you look at things. Uh, next one, let's go to the next one. Of course, when she got pregnant with our first kid, uh, that was hard. Uh, my, my father-in-law's in the background. We were at a University of Arizona game. I, I'm, I'm a wildcat. I, I say that very carefully because I don't want to get 
but yes, graduated from the University of Arizona. And then when we, we, yeah, we, my wife got pregnant, that changed the way I look at things. The next image, let's go to the next one. Of course, then three more times. So we have a total of three kids being a parent changes things. Those are my three kiddos. That's, that's uh, my daughter, uh, Evangeline there with the curly hair. She's much older now. My son, Joaquin. Uh, and then my daughter, Violeta, uh, that my, do- my wife is holding. And, you know, I always see my kids this way. They're, the, the, the two older ones are teenagers now. And that'll change the way you look at things. But this is how I still see them. For you parents, how many parents out there still see your kids as like little kids? Come on, let's be real. Like you still see them. They're like, but I'm grown. And you're like, no, you're not. Uh, next one, what else happened? Yeah, and then, like I said, moving to the Pacific Northwest changed my heart about reaching the unreached, about reaching people who everyone in my faith community before moving out there was like, why would you go out there? And the Lord changed my heart. He gave me a new heart for that area. And God is doing, a, like I've mentioned, a massive work. But the message today, as you turn to Acts chapter 2, so if your Bible's open, go to Acts chapter 2. And if you're watching online, maybe open up a browser window. If you're up in the loft, there's Bibles, I'm sure, available for you. Acts chapter 2, uh, the message entitled today is The Tale of Two Hearts. We're going to talk about how a heart changes and what God can do with a heart once it's transformed. And who transforms that heart? Who's responsible for transforming that? We're going to try to answer all of these questions looking at Acts chapter 2. As I mentioned, my kids now, the older ones, are teenagers. So how many of you guys are are, are raising teenagers right now? Lord, I just pray for these people right now, Heavenly Father. Just may your spirit, hallelujah, fall on them. Yeah, it is hard because your kids, I saw them as little kids, right? And now they're teenagers and like, I'm learning about a culture I didn't know I didn't know about. Like they went from being my cute little kids, my little snuggle bugs, to now like, they're like my roommates. But they're terrible roommates. They leave a mess. They, they cook, but don't clean. They smell different. Don't they smell different, moms? Don't they clean, clean different? Dad, the bathroom's clean, bro. Yeah, come on. They, they speak different. How many of your teenagers speak different? I'm learning a whole new language that I didn't know I needed to learn. I'm learning all these new words. I had to look them up. Like, for, for example, some of the, the new words that I'm learning, my, my son is just so funny. He's kind of the, the chief kind of responsible person for giving me new words. Like, like the, the first one, like when I cook, I love to cook, and, and I'll be making my kids like enchiladas or tacos de carne asada, rice and beans. Like I hook it up. I've been cooking for hours, and I'm like, son, how was that? You know, and he goes, mid, mid, mid. Parents have heard that mid, mid, I I think means like passable, like forgettable. It'll do. So my cooking is mid. I learned. I also learned. I also learned that the word cook does not mean cook. My my son's team just made state. So we're going to be in Spokane, Washington for the state. It's awesome basketball. And sometimes he, he plays like the four position, if you know what that is. So he's the four. And, and he rarely boxes out when rebounds are coming. I'm like, son, box out, box out. And he'll look at the stands and he'll, sell, he'll, he'll look at and he'll say to me, dad, let me cook. And I'm like, no, 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 I cook. You dribble, you, you dribble. And, and he goes, let me cook, dad. I guess cook means like, let me operate. Let me do my thing. So parents, they don't mean what you think they mean. They mean something differently. They speak a different language. Um, so that's cook. Oh, one of my favorites. Parents, have you heard Riz? 
Riz. For those of you that didn't know, for those of you that didn't know, apparently Riz comes from the word charisma. So you have charisma, you have charisma. And so my son has all these ways that he elaborates on the word Riz. So he will say uh, something to the effect of, Dad, I got W Riz. W Riz is a combination of I win at Rizzing. So like I'm the best at Rizzing. So Dad, I got W Riz. Uh, sometimes when he's feeling particularly um, like God, I guess, he calls himself the Riz God. He's all, Dad, I'm the Riz God. Uh, when he has a really cool outfit, he says, I'm the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> that one's actually, that one's pretty good. The Wizard of Oz is pretty good. But one of my favorite ones, like when he feels tough, like when he gets a big rebound or a ton of rebounds in his game, he, he says, Dad, I'm just a big old grizzly bear. A grizzly bear. So he changes it. He, there's all this languages I didn't know. And, and like I thought I knew him, but he speaks differently. So, so old relationships change when new language exists. And the most recent one that he's been saying is yap, like quit yapping or that dude yaps. And I had to, I, and the best way I could explain yapping to you, it's like how the, like remember Charlie Brown, how like the kids perceive the parents to speak, like that's yapping, that's yapping. It is indecipherable mumbling, right? And so, so if, your, if your kids tell you you're yapping, that's not a good thing. That's not very rizzy, I guess. It's bad. It's bad. Mumbling, indecipherable language, when you, look, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. These are great themes to introduce Acts chapter 2. Pastor Nick talked about Acts chapter 2 a little bit last week, which was so rad in teasing up this message for Heart for the House. And then he went on to talk about Acts chapter 4. But in Acts chapter 2, so he did all like the deep theological work. So if, if you're visiting here today, number one, come back next week. I'm not the real pastor. The real, the real guy who brings the word every week, he will be here next week. You guys are going to be in, in Genesis next week. Spoiler alert. So I'm excited for that. But that guy did all the heavy theological lifting. So he, he just left me with all the easy like layups today. So we're going to get super practical, hopefully, in Acts chapter 2. Now, I want to set the stage before we go forward. Acts chapter 2 begins with the day of Pentecost, and we'll see that in verse 1. The day of Pentecost is important because in Acts chapter 2, all the Jewish people from the known world went back to Jerusalem. Think of it like your high school homecoming. People, there was Jews from all over the world, and they would always come back to celebrate a series of feasts. Now, the day of Pentecost, this day, also falls in line exactly with 1,200 years before in Exodus 19, when Moses received the law. So you remember Moses is up there. God shows up, lightning, fire, crazy experience, move of God. God descends down, gives people the written law. And when the law of God was given, the people rebelled. Remember, they made false idols. They started worshiping false idols and 3,000 people died in Exodus 19. In Acts chapter two, Pastor Nick talked about it. You see 3,000 people get saved. Change of heart. The spirit of God falls, people are united, a move of God works, and people get radically saved. So for a little bit, we're going to talk about that, but that sets the stage. So the day of Pentecost is not only the birthday of the church, it's also the day that the law was given, only 1,200 years prior. Does that make sense? We're tracking? We're here? All right, we're all on the bus. So here we go. Verse 1 through 4, uh, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, now we know what that was, had fully come, they were all with one accord, that is not a vehicle, by the way, 
in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We talked about what Pentecost is. Now let's talk about the pre-existing conditions. People are gathered together in one place. It's kind of church. They're having church. It wasn't necessarily a house because we know there was several hundred people there. So most likely an open temple area, a plaza maybe, an amphitheater most likely. People were gathered together seeking God. Another way to say it is that they were gathered together in order to be with God. Okay, very important. They're there. They don't understand each other's languages necessarily. They're Jewish culturally, but they come from all over the world. And they also, they've all adopted their culture of their host countries. Some of them were Egyptian. Some of them were Asian. Some of them were from Greece. Some of them from Rome. And so they all brought their culture with them. They were religiously, culturally Jewish, but they all had different languages. So for a lot of ways, they understood the cultural practice, but maybe there was a, a language barrier, much like me with my teenagers, right? Only problem is they didn't have Google. So they're like kind of in trouble. So that's kind of what's going on. This mighty wind falls, the tongues appear, and then people start, you guessed it, yapping. Start yapping, okay? Now, I want you to take something, a finger, a, a bookmark, something, put it in there, and then you're going to get your Bible muscles ready because you're going you're to go to Genesis 11 and you're going to lift this heavy thing. And if you're online, you could just maybe open a new browser window, but you're going to be this big lift and we're going to go over to Genesis 11. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Gabe, you said that this, that this event, Acts chapter 2, mirrors Exodus 19, the giving of the law. Very true. And if I had more time, I would hang out in Exodus 19. But I want to contrast this event, not compare it. I want to contrast it with another event in Genesis 11. Before we tease Genesis 11, I want to explain to you why it's important to always go back and cross-reference things in the Bible. The Bible has close to, if you want exact, 31,102 verses in the whole Bible, depending on the translation in the manuscript family, of course, for all of us Bible nerds, of which there are two, me and Nick. No, okay, skip. <laughs> 31,102 verses in the whole Bible. If you were to take the Bible, add up all the verses, 31,102. Out of that number, there are over 61,000 connections and cross-references between the New and the Old Testament. So that means we have to interpret the Old in light of the New. Another way to say this is to spoil a 20-year-old movie. And let me do that for you right now. Don't get mad at me, but this movie's been out for plus 20 years. So if you haven't seen it, it's your fault. <laughs> Show of hand, how many of you have seen The Sixth Sense? Go ahead and raise your hand. Be brave. Don't lie. Okay, sinners, put your hand down. Lord, I want to pray for these people. <laughs> Lord, they're watching these ungodly PG-13 movies. Just kidding. I've seen it too. <laughs> BC, of course. So, you know, it's before Christ. So there you go. <laughs> um, 20-some years ago, The Sixth Sense came out, right? And if you haven't seen it, let me spoil it for you. At the beginning of the movie, you see this husband and wife. And at the beginning of the movie, the husband gets shot in the stomach, okay? Gets shot in the stomach. And then the very next scene, he's well again. The only problem is he and his wife are, like, not talking. 
And he's like trying to reach out to her and she's just giving him the cold shoulder. She's like, you have no riz, you know. I mean, that wasn't invented, but she's kind, of, she's kind of thinking that. And I'm thinking this guy has no riz. They're at dinner and he tries to reach over to touch her hand, you know, to caress her, to embrace her. And she does well, nothing to do with it. She ignores him. They sleep in different rooms. I mean, it's bad, okay? The guy has no riz whatsoever. And you're watching this movie and you're like, man, she is mean. All he did is get shot in the stomach. Like, what did this poor guy do, you know? At the end of the movie, spoiler alert, close your ears if you don't want to hear it. In the movie, you watch it. You find out that the guy's been dead the whole time, that he dies at the beginning of the movie. And that actually, not making a theological statement here, it's his ghost living with her, trying to reach out to her, but she can't see him, obviously, because he's dead. It's his his apparition. And so so really what was happening, she wasn't ignoring him. She couldn't see him. And so when you go back and watch the movie all over again, you start to make connections you didn't know were there in the very first place. Why do we go back to the Old Testament when we read the New? Why? Tim Keller said it this way. When we read the Old Testament in the light of Christ, it's like watching the sixth sense for the second time. You will begin to see the old in light of the new. And this is why the Holy Spirit is so important. What Nick and I and all your other pastors do, the best that we can do is illustrate the scriptures on a good day. Nick all the time, because he's a stud. Uh, Me sometimes. But um, what the Spirit does is he illuminates. It's reading the old in light of the new. Check out what happens in Genesis 11. Now, the whole earth had one language, one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and make them thoroughly, Now, they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt. Underline that in your neighbor's Bible. They'll appreciate it. For mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel or Yap. Just kidding. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. We read at the beginning of the book of Acts that the Jews from all over the earth came back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Why does this event make sense? Remember, we're contrasting it with what happened in Acts 2. You have a bunch of people, Genesis 11, gathered together with one aim. Their aim was, we want to be God. Acts chapter 2, we want to be with God. You see the difference? the tale of two hearts. This group of people wants to be with God. What do they experience? A radical encounter of the Holy Spirit. They begin, I mean, we're going to read about it. They begin to experience a manifestation of the gifts of God. It's powerful. There's a move. It's radical. And the church explodes in a good way. 3,000 people get saved. And the church just takes off from there. It's the birthday of the church. In Genesis 11, these people are united because they want to ascend into heaven 
and they want to avoid God's wrath. What do I mean? Again, next week you guys start Genesis, but a couple weeks from now you will come across whose flood? Noah's flood, right? Noah's flood, the people where God's wrath was poured on the earth. Noah and his family were preserved. They repopulated the earth. But that legend continued with the people, and they knew the next time that God gets mad, he might do that again. So what did this group of people do? A little Bible nerd trivia here. They began to build this tower. It was nice and tall so that they, they, they could avoid God's wrath. They want to escape God's judgment. Not only that, it was a waterproof tower. Remember I said underline asphalt? They had bricks with tar, with pitch, with asphalt. They were creating a waterproof structure that could not only reach the heavens so that they could obtain the things of God, but that they could avoid the wrath of God. Does not that mirror what Adam and Eve did? We're going to climb up to the tree. We're going to ascend and grab the things and we want to be like God. This group, the heart that God doesn't use, the, God, the heart that God confuses is the heart that says, we don't want to talk to God before we build anything. We simply want to be God. That's the heart that God can't use. And if this church is going to reach its community, we cannot be a Genesis 11 church. Does that make sense? Cannot be. You, will, you might be able to build something awesome. You might be able to, to plan great events and secure cool new buildings and make great partnerships. You can build something great. You can get pretty far on your own, but you will be confused in the end. And it doesn't just apply to church. Uh, there are some of you contemplating, maybe a guy or a girl thinking, I'm gonna date that guy. I know he's not a believer. I know he hates God, but I wanna build a life with this person. And you can get far. You can move in with them if you want. You know, you can. You're probably an adult by now and you're doing it and you're building things. Maybe some of you are in a business relationship with someone. I know how that guy treats his employees, but he's really successful. I kind of want to build this business partnership with him. You could get really far on your own, but in the end, you'll end up confused. Because if your heart is to be God, to obtain the things of God without having a communication with God, God can't use you. So this contrasts greatly the work of God that he did in Acts chapter two. So now, go ahead and go all the way back to Acts chapter two. We're gonna continue in verses five through 13. But in that first section, if you were taking note, what we realize as we see the work of God is that the spirit of God unites, doesn't he? He brings people together, he unites them. And what we're gonna see in verses five through 13 is he uses language to do so, okay? The power of language, check this out. You guys are doing great. Verse five, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused, but here's why. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, look, aren't all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? We hear Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, they are full of new Wine. If the Spirit of God unites people, one of the things that the Spirit of God also does, and I get this from verse 
12. You can take this in your notes. Point number two in our message. The Spirit glorifies. The Spirit glorifies. So the Spirit unites and the Spirit glorifies. Why does this church need the Spirit of God? We need the Spirit of God to be united. And if we're going to be united, we need the Spirit of God to glorify, to give God glory. So inviting the Holy Spirit into gatherings is so important. So it's so radically important. Are there abuses of the spiritual gifts? Totally. And many of you, depending on your background, when you know we're studying Acts chapter two, you're like, we're gonna talk about tongues. Oh my God, it's gonna get so weird. Well, let's make it unweird. Let's shine the light of Christ. Look what happens. In, in verses five through eight, we see people being amazed that all of a sudden, they're starting to hear their own languages. Now, we know that the spirit gave utterance. So it is possible for the spirit to move in such a unique way that you begin to speak differently. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Are we all going to pray in tongues right now? Not, not necessarily. <laughs> Don't freak out. I remember for me, when I first you know, started hearing about the spiritual gifts, I was so afraid. I'm like, I don't want the spirit of God to come in because I'll be in McDonald's, like in the drive-thru window, ordering a Big Mac, extra pickles. And then what if I just start like yapping, you know, like mumbling and the person at the drive-thru like freaks out. Oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen. That's not, that's not what happened here. And the apostle Paul gave very clear instructions on how to exercise the gift of tongues. He said to do it decently and in order. He said to make sure you have an interpreter around so that they could discern what is being spoken. That's important. I encourage you in your life groups, and I know Pastor Nick will teach through this, but it's important to do it in, in the safety of community. There are people in my small group who speak tongues. I don't personally regularly speak in tongues, but I have people that I've known for years, and I know they're not doing it to draw attention to themselves because I've seen their life. And when they speak in tongues, we wait on an interpretation, and when an interpretation's there, we pray about it and we, we judge it and, and assess it. But you need the safety of community. And your goal has to be, again, examine your heart. Do you want to be with God or do you want to be God? Does that make sense? So when you pursue the gifts, ask yourself, am I trying to be with God? Now, the people in Genesis 11, they built a structure without ever talking to God. The people in Acts chapter 2 built a church and the first thing that they do is started talking to God. Do you need a spiritual language in order for God to hear you? No. Is tongues evidence that you really are saved? No. Do you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? No. But it is a unique thing that happened here in Acts chapter 2, and it's beautiful. Now, there are entire, entire semesters of seminary devoted to understanding this passage. I can't unpack it in six minutes. But... There are examples here that we can draw from. There are things that we can glean. We know that people who were present were from other nations. We read that, right? I mean, it starts listing 15 different nations. There's people speaking Arabic. There's people speaking, people from Asia, so maybe Chinese. There's people from Rome. Where is Rome? It's in Italy. So maybe in the middle of something, they're like, pepperoni, mozzarella, parmesan. You know, I don't know. I don't know Italian as like, best as I got. And actually, uh, I, I learned, I had to study this, that Italian really wasn't formalized it, like around this time, like, you know, 30 some, 32 AD. Uh, so it was Latin. But uh, the, the mozzarella makes for a decent joke. So, <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe these, these Galileans, we know they were Galileans because that's what they get accused of. And that's a derogatory term in those days. It means you're uneducated, you know, backwards person. Uh, they start speaking in different languages. Did they audibly speak in 
Latin in Chinese? Like, it was it actual Chinese that a person from Asia understood? Was it actual, a real living language Chinese? Maybe. We don't know. Was it, was it a first century version of kind of mumbling, jumble, yapping that then, through the gift of interpretation, the person from China understood and maybe deciphered the mumbling? Maybe. I don't know. It could be any number of those things. Um, was it a spiritual language that no one understood, that this person maybe understood? Maybe we just don't know. And a lot of times, we get so obsessed with the method that we miss the mission. We get so obsessed with, well, how do I do it? What's the formula? Because I just want to copy and paste. I want to take what's going over there, and I want to put it over here. And friends, King David had that same temptation. Don't we not remember that people tried to put Saul's armor on David when he went to battle? I think when we cut and paste methods, it really is a version of Saul's armor. It's when you're like, okay, your marriage is good. How do I copy and paste that onto my marriage? And the Lord's just saying, how about you just come talk to me? How about you communicate with me? Friends, we could get lost in the how, and we miss the what, and we miss the why. I'll give them both to you. The why is, Acts chapter 2, the people wanted to be with God. They didn't want to be God. They wanted to be with him. And the what, what did they do? It's in verse 12. I mean, it's just, it just jumps out to us. Pardon me, verse, uh, verse 11, where it says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. No doubt there are some people here today or watching online who are like, I want the gift of tongues. I want people to see me and be, wow, what a great Christian, right? When in reality, the, the evidence of our lives when people look at us should be like awe. Not wow, but awe. What a wonderful God. Verse 11, look at their life. It is the works of God are evident in their lives. What kind of church is gonna reach this community? The kind of church that regularly communicates with God, that builds the kind of church that Jesus would walk into, and the kind of church that people look at and say, oh, I want that church to stay open. I don't know what the COVID season was like for you guys. I understand it was very different than what it was like for us in, in Washington. <laughs> No political commentary needed. Uh, but it was different. But one of the things that blessed me, and I got to brag on our church a little bit, is that Vancouver Pub, uh, Parks and Rec and other government agencies were begging us to stay open because of how missionally involved we were in the community. We have government agencies that come to our church and say, how do we raise up volunteers? You got, we, we have an initiative called Second Saturday, the second Saturday of every month, where we get hundreds of people together and then we send them out in the community and we go pick up needles at homeless camps. And you know what kind of needles there are. Where we go and, and, and fix up schools. And we, we, even though we were forced to be closed, we were the kind of church that the government asked us, I hope you stay open. That's the kind of church that Jesus can use. The kind of church that the community says, whatever you do, we want Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks to stay open. That's the kind of church that we need to be and become and we hear what God is doing in and through you. And how does that happen? Life groups. It happens with serving regularly. Why? And this is something my, my son always asks me. He always says, Dad, like, why do we serve at Second Saturday? Why do we serve? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? It's like, because when we give in such a way that it changes how we le live, we actually cure selfishness. When we serve, 
what you're doing is it's, it's a, you'll never cure your selfishness because that's an inborn kind of a sinful nature thing, but it is how you treat selfishness. Why do we give? My son's like, dad, why do we tithe? Well, when we practice generosity, we treat greed. I'm always going to be greedy. I always want the biggest slice of pizza. You know, <laughs> I just always will. It's just, it's, it's, it's in my heart. But we practice radical generosity because it treats my greed. These are the things that God can use to reach your community. And I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I know we're, we're coming to an end. I want to remind you, may every gathering that is held in this building be with a group of people united in one accord, not a car, but a room, with the kind of room that we say, we are here to be with God, to talk to God. I don't need some supernatural spiritual language to use it. If I have it, I'll practice it. But if not, Lord, I'd rather speak to you in a known tongue than an unknown language. May we build, Lord, what you're calling us to build. May we be the kind of people that serve because we're trying to eradicate our selfishness. May we give because we're trying to eradicate our greed. May we give in such a way that it radically changes us. That's my hope and prayer for this community. I'll finish this with a final story and then we'll have Pastor Nick come up. There was an old, there was an old uh, wise man and he had a student that he raised up. And he had raised up this student for many years and the student went off to start his own kind of uh, school of wisdom. But he came back once to meet with his old master. And upon seeing him again, he said, Master, do you still wrestle with the devil? Like he wanted to know, you know, after all this time, do you still wrestle with the devil? And the wise man said, son, I have grown old and the devil has grown old with me. I no longer wrestle with the devil. I wrestle with God. And the student said, master, you, you wrestle with God and you hope to win? And the wise man looked at him because he realized the student hadn't gotten the point. And he said, son, I wrestle with God and I hope to lose everything. Friends, Jesus said it in this way. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? I pray that this church would hold on to God, that you only wrestle with God every day. Because when you wrestle with God, when you hold on with God, when the Holy Spirit's present in your fellowship, you don't have a free hand to grasp for the distractions of the enemy. You won't drift. You have to have an anchor point. It's the goal of this conference is to be anchored, rooted in your faith. Friends, hold on to the Lord with all that you have. Hold on to him as if your life depended on it. And in that way, God will use you mighty. He'll continue to reach this area and you'll begin to speak in a way that you've never spoken. You'll learn the language of this culture. Later on in Acts chapter two, they quote the book of Joel and say that the, the young men had visions and the old men had dreams. You have a new dream for this church. You have new vision. You have clear direction. And God will use you mightily. Amen. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I do want to pray and give an opportunity for anyone that hasn't received Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do pray and thank you for our time together in your word here today. May we be focused on being with you, on communicating with you, on building what it is you want us to build, Lord. We want to discern your will and your way. But I recognize that today, either up in the loft or online or even in this room here today, Lord, there are people who have begun to make decisions or have made decisions for a long time, but those decisions have nothing to do with you. We've begun to build, build something, whether a relationship or a hope or a dream, and it's absent of your wisdom. 
And so, Lord, I want to pray for those folks here today with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. If that's you, if you're like, I, I, I haven't been talking to God. I haven't been asking the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. And that's just something you want to recognize today. Would you raise your hand? Would you do something brave right now and just say, that's me. Go ahead and now just raise your hand. I'm just going to scan the room here briefly. I won't do it too much longer. If you're like, I need the Spirit of God to direct my life. I've been building things without even considering what God has for me. I see a couple of hands up. So awesome. And if that's you online, would you let us know in the chat so we can follow up with you? I just want to pray for those few hands that went up here today. Lord, for the folks that have been prompted by your spirit to ask, fill me, Holy Spirit. If, if I'm going to speak in tongues, I'll do it. If I'm going to have a new vision, I'll, 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 I'll lean into it. If it's a new dream, Lord, I'll seek you for its interpretation. Lord, we want a fresh boldness to reach this community. So Heavenly Father, bless these folks, use them, whatever the next step is, to join a life group, to serve, to begin to tithe or give or whatever it is, Lord. That's not, that's not for us to, to shame them into doing, Lord. That's for you to invite them into. So we pray for your obedience to be given to them. And we thank you for our time together. And it's in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much.